everybody. Mike Griffith here. Welcome to tonight's Ingles on the Beat feature and uh, really pleased to bring on South Carolina beat writer Ben Portnoy. Ben works for the South Carolina State and Ben, you've had uh, an eyeful of Shane Beamer in these Gamecocks. The, the first couple games of the season, South Carolina 2-0, and a very promising start for Coach Beamer. Some of your takeaways on South Carolina. Yeah, it's been a good start. I mean, look, this is a team that's that's rebuilding and, and you know, Shane and everyone else have said, you know, they don't they want to try and win now. If, and that's the goal. And, you know, so far, South Carolina's done that. They beat Eastern Illinois. They they escaped a tricky East Carolina team last week and at, in, at East Carolina. So uh, it's been fun. It's been interesting. Um, I think it's a team that that, you know, has still has a ways to go. And I think we'll learn a lot more, obviously, this week against Georgia. But uh, has been fun to watch so far, and, and it's been fun to watch sort of how Shane's attacking this this sort of rebuild and this sort of reboot uh, in Columbia. Yeah, it was really knocked down, drag out win over East Carolina. Gamecocks playing from behind. You know, one of the things I noticed when East Carolina was leading was Shane Beamer, and of course, people in Georgia are familiar with Coach Beamer. He was on Kirby's staff in 2016 and 2017, and then Shane went to Oklahoma with with you know kind of patting his head coaching potential resume in mind, uh, going to work for Lincoln Riley. And obviously it worked. But the thing I noticed, Ben, was he seemed very poised on the sideline. That's a bit of a departure from the more emotional style that I think we've been seeing previously from Will Muschamp there. Yeah, that's, you know, it's a good, it's a good observation. And I think that's the thing that's funny. That's interesting. I should say is, you know, Shane's a pretty poised guy. He's pretty together. You know, I talked to his, uh, you know, I wrote a long feature about Shane a couple of weeks ago and uh, talked to his dad and, and every other head coach that he had worked for in the past, including Kirby. And, you know, everyone said, and, and Frank in particular said, you know, the thing is like he could lean on Shane for, you know, thoughts during games, when to go for fourth down, when to, you know, pun, when to, you know, push the envelope a little bit. And that was something that Frank relied pretty heavily on when Shane was at back at Virginia Tech from 2011, to 2015. And, uh, you know, I think that everyone who's he's worked for, whether that's Phil Fulmer, whether it's Kirby Smart, whether it's, you know, uh, George O'Leary, I mean, like, everyone kind of lauded his football sense and his football IQ. He's not a guy who's going to kind of like out coach himself. He, he's pretty, you know, in tune with the flow of the game. He doesn't try and, you know, get too cre- too crazy or anything like that. Like he really follows over the long pretty well. And I think you've seen that on the sidelines too. I mean, he's definitely a rah-rah guy was very excited after the game running around and, and throwing, you know, haymakers almost celebrating and, you know, pointing toward the fans and all that. But uh, no, as far as, you know, composure on the sidelines, Shane's a pretty pretty even keel guy for the most part. And no doubt about it. Now, Ben, you had the opportunity to cover Mississippi State. And I guess I would ask you to contrast, you know, when Mike Leach arrived, he tried he was trying to build a program, a first-year coach, to the start that Shane Beamer's gotten off to. And and how do those programs compare? Is is Shane have a harder job than Mike Leach did at Mississippi State? Oh, I, I'd say the harder part comes with your in-state com- counterpart. I mean, you know, Mississippi State and Ole Miss are generally speaking on similar planes and similar trajectories, whereas, you know, uh, you know, Clemson, uh, knock on South Carolina, but I mean, Clemson's playing a different sport than some of these other schools in the SEC and the ACC as well. And, you know, with how good they've been the last, you know, decade under Dabo, I mean, that's that makes things more difficult. Um, but, you know, as far as resources go, South Carolina's got as much, as many resources and as any program in the country. The budget is there. The support is there from the fan base. You know, the upgrades that they've had to the football you know, facilities in the last you know, five, 10 years have, were much needed, but are really, really impressive. I mean, it looks like an NFL complex over there and uh, not over across the street from Williams-Rice Stadium. So 
you know, I, I think it's a difficult job in the sense that, you know, you don't necessarily have the built-in geography that, that some of these other, other schools do. I mean, you know, Georgia's a good example. LSU is a good example. Like, you know, you've got programs that, that can recruit and have a ton of top flight guys in their backyard. South Carolina produces, you know, at most, I don't know, eight, 10, 12 guys in a given year that are really SEC caliber level. And, you know, you got to fight Georgia, you got to fight Florida, you got to fight LSU, Alabama for those guys as well, and, and Clemson as well. So, you know, South Carolina's got to get a little creative in their geography, which just makes it a little hard. Um, you know, Mississippi obviously splits the Mississippi kids, but that, that's a state that churns out a lot, a lot of football talent uh, and underratedly so. So I, I think they're a little bit different. And I think that, you know, South Carolina financially is definitely more well-equipped uh, than Mississippi State. But as far as pecking order, like if you compare spots in the East and West, I think that, you know, it's similar. I mean, it's two teams that, you know, historically have not been very good and, and have been better in recent years. And Mississippi State's been good under Dan Mullen. You know, South Carolina had Lou Holtz and, South, and Spurrier and, you know, there were moments under Muschamp, but it, it was pretty inconsistent. So, um, you know, as far as trajectory goes, especially over the last 20 years, I mean, they pretty they mirror each other pretty similarly. Now, you just mentioned Dan Mullen in the same sentence with Lou Holtz and Steve Spurrier, Ben. I'm going to give you a pass on that one. <laughs> Albeit uh, Mullen did have success there. You know, the last SEC East team to beat Alabama was South Carolina with Steve Spurrier quite a while ago. Uh, about this specific South Carolina team, uh, Zeb Nolan, what an interesting story. He's a guy from right here, the shadows of Athens and Watkinsville, Oconee County High School, about uh, 500 yards from where I'm sitting. And uh, this kid is is really kind of shown some gumption. Now, uh, gumption and storylines are one thing. Uh, Luke Doty's a really talented guy. That's another. Still, I got to think, if I was a betting man, doesn't Beamer – Got to give the local guy a shot against Georgia. And wouldn't you rather wait to bring Luke Doty in? And I don't want to say this isn't a winnable game, but it just seems like all indications would be you would go with Zeb Nolan. Am I, am I, are my sports writer instincts uh, off the radar here? Or do you have any hunches or thoughts on that? No, I, I think you're right. And I feel the same way. I think that like, I mean, for one, it's an awesome storyline, right? The hometown kid <laughs> comes home. Like I'm licking my chops at that. That's awesome. Like, I love the idea of that, but um, but, you know, like, I think you're right. I think that the reality is that, you know, Luke Doty is obviously still getting back to full health. And uh, I know you were on the conference call last night, too. But, you know, Shane Beamer was talking about that, you know, there's no trepidation about throwing Luke out there on Saturday against Georgia. Um, but I think that, you know, there was a lot of talk that should, that he was going to be ready to play this weekend against East Carolina. Now, we've all kind of circled Georgia as the game that he might actually fully be ready to go. But, um, you know, if you look at South Carolina's schedule, I mean, the next game on the slate is Kentucky. Uh, and you got Troy after that. And then a, if I'm not mistaken, a trip to Knoxville after that, that that's kind of a really crucial stretch for this team. And, and if they want to get into that five, six win threshold, like that's their chance to do it. Um, and I think you set yourself up a little bit better for that. If, if Luke doesn't play this week, or at least doesn't go full go this week. Um, you know, again, I, I think it's a great story to have the hometown kid go and start at, at Georgia this weekend, but uh, I would be surprised if it wasn't Zeb Noland, uh, if it is Luke Doty. I mean, look, things can change and things can happen, but I, I would say I'd be surprised if it's Luke Doty. You know, you just said things can change and things can happen, and I guess I would emphasize things can happen because they're getting ready to play a defensive line that's been downright ferocious. Uh, I think they had nine sacks against Cincinnati and a very mobile quarterback and Desmond Ritter, and then I believe they had seven against uh, DJ Ungalaye. Uh, another mobile quarterback. Um, 
you know, I wonder about the South Carolina line. Uh, you know, this is something, Ben, that, you know, I've heard you follow up on and, and some writers there express a little concern about. Tell us more about the South Carolina offensive line. Yeah, I, I mean, look, it's two games into the season. It's not necessarily too early to sound the alarms or anything like that. But, um, you know, when you look at it, like, South Carolina's played two teams that, you know, no disrespect to Eastern Illinois and East Carolina, but, you know, teams that generally speaking, SEC programs should be able to handle, right? You know, the Eastern, Eastern Illinois is a team that hasn't won more than three games since 2017. East Carolina, I mean, look, Mike Houston's got that thing going in, a, in the right direction, but, you know, East Carolina hasn't been really, you know, as good as they've been since, you know, Ruffin McNeil got fired in 2015. And so when you, when you look at that, that South Carolina, and then when you look at it, like, you know, you look at the pro football focus numbers today, for example, right? South Carolina ranks dead last in, in pass protection right now. And, and that's not good given the fact of, of who you've played. And, you know, look, East Carolina's got some guys on that defensive line and they do a pretty good job of creating pressure. And, you know, they do a good job of scheming up some blitzes and things like that. But, you know, if you're South Carolina, like the pass protection has to be better. Zeb Nolan can't be running for his life against, you know, Zeb Nolan was running for his life against East Carolina. I mean, I can only imagine what he's going to be running for against Georgia next weekend. So, uh, you know, when you look at that, like things have got to sure up. Some of that falls on the tight end. Some of that falls on the running backs as well. But, you know, you got to find a way to keep your quarterback upright. And, you know, we saw Zeb Nolan throw away, you know, frankly, too many passes last week because, in part because there was too much pressure in his face. And some of that's a credit to East Carolina and scheme and what they did. But, you know, at the same time, like you got to block the guy in front of you. And, and, you know, sometimes guys just ran free and that just, that just can't happen. South Carolina's got some talent there in the backfield. Took a little while to get the run game going. Uh, you know, tell us a little bit about the South Carolina run game because that's probably their best defense against a really good pass rush. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, look, South Carolina on Saturday, I mean, you could see four run, five running backs. I mean, it, it goes that deep. And, you know, it's led Kevin Harris is the guy that people circle, you know, led the SEC in rushing last year at over 1100 yards and 15 touchdowns in, in 10 games. I mean, it was a, it's a really, really impressive effort for a team that, you know, frankly, just wasn't very good. Uh, you combine that with Marshawn Lloyd, he's top, former top 50 recruit. Uh, Juju McDowell is a guy that has gotten a lot of touches uh, in the early going. And then, you know, uh, uh, but, you know, you look at this group, like it's a group and it's a Quandre White, excuse me. There's the other guy that I'm thinking of, <laughs> you know, as a Florida, former one time Florida State guy, went to junior college, ended up at, at South Carolina and has done a really good job and, you know, went for over 100 yards in the opener. So you've got four guys in this running back room that like legitimately will get 10, 12 carries in a game and can could handle even up to like 25 or 30 if, you know, things were a little bit different and there were a few less guys. So uh, it's a really interesting group. I think that, you know, Shane Beamer has tended to use the hot hand uh, and just kind of, you know, roll with who's going, who's running well. Um, you know, we saw it against East Carolina, Juju McDowell is a freshman. He's at a Georgia kid, a three-star kid who was committed to NC state flipped to South Carolina um, you know, he ends up coming to South Carolina and he's been, you know, the guy that we've heard about every week during preseason camp. It's like, this is the guy, this is the guy. And, you know, unlike most years, he's actually done something right. Like we've seen him sh show out. So, uh, you know, he, he, you know, yesterday, I guess, Saturday now, uh, you know, went for 11 carries over 70 yards and, and they really just leaned on him in the last drive, two drives, you know, his kick, he had a, about a 70 yard kick return that, that set up a game tying field goal. I mean, He's a guy that can absolutely fly. Is really electric in the in the in the uh, in the return game. And, 
uh, can do a lot. And, you know, he's only 5'9". I think it was J.J. Anigbare, the defensive end for South Carolina. I was joking the other day after the game. He was like, yeah, Juju's like 5'2 or something like that. But the dude can run. And so we got some clarity. Juju is 5'9", is to clarify. But, uh, you know, he's 5'9", about 180 pounds, sopping wet. But uh, he's a guy that can fly. So you combine that with Kevin Harris, with Marshawn Lloyd, with – was a Quandre White, and, and you got a lot of running backs and a lot of talent in that room that can, you know, really mix it up. And it's a lot of guys that do a lot of different things too, right? They all kind of complement each other. So I, I think you'll see, you know, at least four running backs on Saturday. Yeah, I, th- I saw he had a lot of juice. I was impressed. You know, 5'9", 190, he's about the same size as Stetson Bennett. You know, Georgia with some questions at their quarterback position also, as we're all still waiting to hear about JT Daniels. You know, Kirby Smart updated his uh, health today and, said it predictably enough, said it's day by day and he's getting better and, and still not real clear on the quarterbacks. And I got a feeling, Ben, that even if Kirby was clear on the quarterbacks, he probably wouldn't uh, be sending any smoke signals to South Carolina. You know, Coach Beamer really does understand how Kirby goes about work and and knows kind of how Kirby's going to game plan. But the elephant in the room is that the former South Carolina head coach is on the Georgia sidelines as a special teams coach. And Every time a coach tries to tell me that it's not really a big deal, my inclination is that it might be a bigger deal than they're letting on. I, I've got to think that Coach Muschamp's knowledge of the Gamecocks personnel uh, gives George a bit of an advantage. How do you think the players respond to playing against their former head coach? Yeah, it's definitely an interesting dynamic. I mean, it's always a little bit weird. And Kirby was talking about it today, right? Like, you guys see this and we talk about it all the time, but it doesn't really matter. I kind of tend to err with what you were saying, right? Like it probably matters a little bit, but um, <laughs> you know, and Shane Beamer said the same thing. So I guess, you know, I took one out of Kirby's playbook or uh, I guess on the early side, but um, you know, I, I think you're right. Like, I think it's interesting. I think that for players, it's interesting. You're, you know, it's obviously a guy that theoretically recruited you to South Carolina. You spent a lot of time with and have a relationship with, and that's, that's always a weird dynamic. I mean, it's not quite the same as what we saw with like Edo and his son this past weekend, but you know, I, I mean, it's not that far off, right. You know, it's a little, a little different, but, um, but no, I think you're right. Like, I think it matters. I, I think the personnel and, and knowing what guys can do uh, does help Georgia certainly. And I think that, you know, you don't have to be a rocket science to look at the South Carolina's roster and see some of these guys, but, you know, to carry on Joyner's a guy who can play, line up on a whole different lo- number of places. And that's something that Will Muschamp's going to know and know what his strengths are and weaknesses are, whatever. Right. Um, and, and those are things that can be exploited to some degree. So uh, I think it helps. I think, yes, I think it, <laughs> it's definitely interesting. It's a fascinating storyline and, you know, how much it helps. I mean, look, I can't really say, but I, I would imagine it helps a decent bit. You know, a few years ago, I was talking with Debo Samuel at the Senior Bowl. And, uh, man, he's having a great career with the 49ers. I wish I would have picked him on my fantasy football team now. But uh, we were talking about the Georgia game, and and he said uh, that he thought Georgia was South Carolina's biggest rival. He also said Georgia was tougher than Clemson, something we finally got to see those teams uh, settle a little bit of that in week one, a game that maybe could have gone either way in the eyes of the Clemson fans. I kind of thought Georgia outplayed him. And, South and uh, Clemson was probably uh, fortunate to be as close as they were. But uh, when we talk about rivalries, Ben, um, in South Carolina, and obviously the East Carolina game was special, especially since South Carolina played there. I, I liked that touch. I liked seeing Florida play at South Florida. I like seeing SEC teams um, go into these other stadiums occasionally. That said, I, I think it's ridiculous that Georgia plays at Georgia Tech every other year. That's a 
completely waste of a game. A lot of Georgia fans mad at me for saying that, but I, I, I divert, you know, South Carolina's rivalries, obviously Clemson's number one. Does it feel like this is a rivalry game? Do they really look at Georgia as a border state rival and are the Bulldogs number two on their list? I, I think you can make that argument. I mean, I think that like, you know, you run into the same kind of thing that Clemson and, and that Georgia are playing at a maybe different level that South Carolina is right now, but you know, aspirationally, right. Like that's what South Carolina wants to be. And, you know, we're not that far removed from Steve Spurrier going winning 11 games, three years in a row. I mean, I know it's, you know, seven, eight years ago now, but in the grand scheme, like that's not that long ago and that's not that far removed. South Carolina was one of the, you know, the three, four, five best programs in the conference, you know, not just the East, but across the league. And, uh, you know, when you look at that, like, I think that if you're South Carolina, I think Georgia is a team that you, that you want to be like, that you want to emulate. And I know the history is there more for Georgia and, and it's been historically better, obviously, you know, South Carolina is a program that's hovered around 500 at best for most of its, you know, its time in the SEC since 1992. Uh, and, and so, you know, that plays into it, but I think at the same time, like if you're South Carolina, this is a big game. It's a game you circle, right? Like if you want to be the best, you got to beat the best. I know that's super cliche, but you know, if you want to fight to, to be at the top of the sec, like Shane Beamer wants to, whenever that day might come, like you got to be able to play with Georgia. You got to be able to play with Florida. You got to be able to play when I guess, hypothetically Tennessee, when they're clicking at some point, maybe ever, <laughs> you know, and, and you got to be able to beat teams like Kentucky and Missouri and whoever else, right? Like, you got to stack up against those teams and you got to go be able to go somewhere and smack someone in the mouth and win, you know, South Carolina did that two years ago. Now I think Kirby said today, right. That it was a little more on what Georgia didn't do than what South Carolina did. And there's maybe a few, some fighting words, I guess. So maybe that'll spark <laughs> something, but uh, maybe we'll see that hanging in the facility this week. But um, you know, I think that uh, I, I think that that, you know, if you're South Carolina, like this is a game that matters. It's not that far down the road, right. You're two and a half hours to Athens. Like, you're recruiting a lot of the same kids like South Carolina recruit has, I think five or six kids in their 20, uh, 22 class out of the state of Georgia. Donovan Westmoreland was a Georgia commit at one point. Like these are teams that see each other on the road a lot and the recruiting trail a lot. So I, I think it's a game that matters. Certainly. I, I don't know where it necessarily falls in the backing order, but it's one that matters. That's for sure. We talked about that upset a couple of years ago. You know, that was the first time in Sanford stadium history that the top five ranked Georgia team lost to an unranked opponent and, Certainly the three interceptions, the missed field goal by Rodrigo Blankenship and South Carolina had had a bye week. Georgia had five opponents that year, Ben, that had a bye week before they played the Bulldogs. Not exactly a favorable schedule from the SEC uh, home office there. And, and Will Muschamp and the Gamecocks cash in. We know how well Will knows Kirby and uh, almost as if he was in the playbook. And, and now he's on this team and, you know, Beamer, a guy, that knows Kirby Smart. If you were going to design a recipe for an upset on Saturday night in Sanford Stadium, what would be your three keys for a South Carolina upset? Yeah, you know, I, I mean, I think it's obvious, but one's going to be South Carolina's defensive line. I think that when you look at that defensive line, like, I don't think it's too far to say that this is probably one of the two, three, four best defensive lines in the league. Like this is a team that goes really deep on the defensive line. You've got, you know, former five-star recruits, former four-star recruits. Like you got guys on this defensive line, JJ Kingsley, JJ Anagbara. I mean, that's a guy who a lot of people see as a potential first round pick in the NFL draft next year. Zach Pickens, if he has the year that he could have this year, like he's a guy that could leave early and be a first round pick. You know, you got other guys like Aaron Sterling, Zach Birch is a former five-star recruit. Like, 
it, say what you will about Will Muschamp and what he did at South Carolina, but he recruited that defensive line and recruited it well. And, you know, if, if they're going to have a chance, they're going to have to cause some problems for Stetson Bennett or whoever it is under center. I guess that's obviously still a question mark. But, uh, you know, that, that's the number one thing I'd circle. The second is, and I guess this kind of goes hand in hand, but it's South Carolina's secondary. I mean, look, Stetson Bennett was, what was he, like five for five for 248 yards to start the game the other day, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, so you look at that, like South Carolina's secondary has been maligned a lot this offseason. You lose J.C. Horn, who's, you know, an all-world cornerback. You lose Israel McQuamo, who's, as, you know, as good a defensive back as, as there was in the league last year. And obviously, you mentioned the three interceptions. That's, you know, the guy who got them. So, uh, you know, you lose guys like that. It's tough. And, you know, look, credit to Shane Beamer. They went out. They signed some guys in the transfer portal. I think they brought in nine transfers this year. And, and if I'm not mistaken, I think six were on defense, five or six were on defense. Um, and a lot of them were in the secondary. So they've pieced it together. It, it's not necessarily looked super pretty, but they've been good. I mean, Cam Smith is a guy that I think has a legitimate shot at, you know, second, third team, all SEC type season uh, at corner. And, you know, they lost Karan Prunty, who was a guy who they thought was going to come in and, and be a number one corner. But, um, you know, they've pieced it together and, and have done some nice things. And I think the secondary can be good. And I think, frankly, the South Carolina defense is a little bit better than we think. Uh, or we thought it was going to be over the offseason. I think they've got some pieces, and I think really highly of Clayton White. I think he does a really good job. He's a guy that's been on some SEC radars in recent years and, you know, is getting his shot at South Carolina, but was someone that was, you know, thought really highly of the last few coaching cycles as well. Um, so I think that this is – it's a good South Carolina defense, and I think, like you said, second, like I said, you know, the second second part piece of this is probably the secondary. And then, you know, the last part is – frankly, South Carolina's offensive line. I know I harped on it all the time earlier, but, you know, Zeb Nolan can have enough time to throw. Like, he's a guy who can make some plays. He's big-armed. He's, he's pretty accurate with the ball. Um, you know, his numbers haven't been super good, but have been pretty good. Um, and I know it's obviously a step up in competition, but, you know, if they can keep him upright and let him make some throws like he did down the stretch in the East Carolina game the other night, I mean, you know, I was saying this on the radio earlier today, is that, you know, he's a guy that, you know, when it came down to it, when it was winning time and you needed plays, he made the throws he needed to make. I mean, he hit Josh Van for a 45-yard catch down the sideline that was, you know, a really nice throw. And then, you know, the I think it was the go-ahead touchdown at the time or game-tying touchdown at the time, uh, you know, hit to carry on Joyner on a pass that he kind of, you know, lofted it over a linebacker but in front of a safety and, and to carry on Joyner went up and got it. I mean, it was a hell of a throw. So, I mean, the guy can has some talent. So if he has some time to throw, like he can help ease things in the, in the running game a little bit and let that group go to work. So, uh, yeah. So I guess to recap it, I guess just a defensive line, secondary and offensive line. Talking to Ben Portner, he writes for the Columbia state in South Carolina. Ben, I wonder South Carolina football history. We've talked about some moments. I mean, is, uh, is Steve Spurrier, the, the, the Babe Ruth in the building? Is it Lou Holtz? Is there a coach that uh, Gamecock fans like to rally around? Yeah, I, I think it's Spurrier, but I think when you look at it, like, I think it's fascinating because, you know, to be honest, till I moved here and started this job, you know, I don't think I necessarily had the same kind of appreciation I do now for, you know, what Lou Holtz did here. And when you look at it, I mean, look, Lou Holtz and Steve Spurrier are probably two of the best college football coaches in the last 50 years. I mean, those are guys that are at the top of this game, right? Um, and you look at that, like, they came here and they won. Now it took really good coaches and, and really good staffs and really good players, but the guys who won here were really good coaches. And, uh, you know, when you look at what Lou Holtz did, took over what an 11 or one 11 team and, and got them to, to pretty consistent, you know, bowl team, you know, uh, pretty consistently in bowl games. I mean, 
that does a lot. And that's a big flip to switch. So or switch to flip. There we go. <laughs> um, but I, I think that, you know, when I, I would say that Spurrier's the guy, some of it's recency bias, I guess. But, you know, when you look at what Lou Holtz did, I mean, it, it's pretty impressive. And I think it set the stage for what Steve Spurrier did. William Bryce Stadium versus Mississippi State. You got a favorite uh, stadium there? Is it Scott Field? <laughs> Look, I like them both a lot. I gotta say, I'm partial to. I gotta say, I'm partial to uh, to uh, to Davis Wade Stadium. It's a. I think it's a really underrated atmosphere. I think that you know, I think Williams Bryce is at the top of the SEC for sure. It's up there, and and you know, same for Stanford Stadium as well. But I think that in the pecking order, I think Mississippi State's a little underrated. And those uh, those cowbells when they get going, they're really loud. <laughs> Well, that should be pretty interesting to find out what the uh, Sanford Stadium environment is going to be like on Saturday night. South Carolina, uh, big underdog, going to try to pull the upset on the Bulldogs and clip some more of those hedges. I know that's fresh in the minds of a lot of these Georgia fans. I'm sure they'll give South Carolina a nice welcome on Saturday night at Sanford Stadium. Ben, I want to thank you for joining us. Before you go, can you share some of your social media contact information where people can follow you? Yeah, definitely. Uh, just at bportnoy15 uh, on Twitter, and uh, you can read on the state.com. So nothing, uh, nothing too crazy, but pretty easy to find. <laughs> Great stuff. I appreciate it, Ben. Thank you so much. Yeah, Mike. Thanks so much. Great to have Ben Portnoy join us. A really talented young writer for the Columbia State, covers the Gamecocks, and you could tell that uh, just a wealth of information. I really encourage you to follow him on Twitter. It's a really good way for a fan to check out the game in advance is to check out the other team's Twitter account, check out the other beat writers, see what they're talking about. I mean, you hear a ton from dognation.com uh, about what's going on with the Georgia Bulldogs with dog nation daily with Brandon Adams every day at 10. And of course, Connor Riley has his show on Tuesday night, Connor and coverage and Jeff Sentel's Intel Wednesday night. And then our cover four feature Thursday. But I always like to look at what the other team is talking about. What do they think about, Georgia what are their challenges and you heard Ben Portnoy talk about the importance of the line of scrimmage that South Carolina thinks they've got a good defensive line South Carolina uh, a decent secondary and then the importance for their offensive line to hold together against the really talented Georgia defensive front there's all sorts of components to success and you know I think about Ingles and I think about all the components that make them such a successful place and such a reliable place for us, right? I mean, we're still dealing with some of this COVID fallout, such a difficult time. And, and Ingles hasn't taken a day off from any of that. They've been there to service us uh, from the beginning, making sure that we have all the supplies and the goods that we need. I want to thank Ingles personally. And I want to take a moment and play this message so we can all recognize Ingles. It's in our hearts to feel for there's been ups and downs, turnarounds, there's good days and some bad. But we stand together for worse and for better. We'll always have your back. Focus on heart to heart, hand in hand. Community strong. And welcome back. Mike Griffith here, the second half of the Ingles on the Beat show. And you might have heard in the first half of the show, we mentioned JT Daniels' injury. Uh, Kirby Smart telling the media today that he's definitely improved. But this remains a day-by-day -day situation. And uh, you kind of wonder, if you're Kirby Smart, 
You don't take any chances with JT Daniels against South Carolina. At least I don't think you do. Now, remember, I wrote about it today in the stock report. We'll talk about the stock report, but Kirby's acronym for win, right? Win. Well, win, of course he wants to win, but look deeper. W, what's I? Important N, now. What's important now? It's a Georgia acronym that Kirby shares with his players and tells them, you know, guys, look, whenever things get really hard, whenever you're starting to feel overwhelmed, just remember to win. Remember to apply what's important now. And I know there were a lot of Georgia fans that were maybe surprised, some even upset that Kirby didn't start a younger quarterback that, you know, could be the starter in 2022-23. That's not now. It's what's important now. And what's important now is for Georgia to make absolutely sure that they don't get tripped up, that they don't have that upset special of a game. Look, UAB beat Jacksonville State 31-0. to And I know most of you already recognize that Jacksonville State beat Florida State last Saturday night. Now, transitive properties don't always work. But it tells you that was a capable team. It was an experienced team. So you've got a defense at UAB that's got nine of 11 starters back, including their secondary. And if you're Georgia, you don't want to throw a young man out there that hasn't had any extended action for the first time. He's dealing with all these elements and excitement in Sanford Stadium with the capacity crowd on hand on national television with an unsettled team around him. Maybe if you have a veteran offensive line, maybe if you have veteran receivers, but as is one of the takeaways out of the Clemson game was that receivers were lined up in the wrong place. And you don't want to have that young quarterback having to try to not only manage all these external factors for the first time, but also have to deal with some of that inexperience in the receiving core guy runs the wrong route, right? We saw that happen last year with Dwan Mathis, really talented guy. Dwan making his first start had looked good in all the practices, but when Jermaine Burton ran the wrong route, it led to an interception early on. There were some snap issues, remember, with Trey Hill? Well, this was only Cedric Van Pran's second start. So when you've got all those unknown elements on the field, you probably want a more experienced quarterback that's been in those environments before, right? And, and albeit the crowds last year were reduced, but still Stetson played in Tuscaloosa. He played uh, in the state of Florida in the game in Jacksonville. He played in Neyland Stadium. Uh, he had to come in and play from behind in, in Reynolds Razorback Stadium. So I thought it was a good play just because of the experience. And Kirby said he felt Stetson would have a calming effect on the team. And boy, did he ever and give kudos to Todd Munkin as well for scheming that early touchdown. You know, there's a reason that play was open. And I wrote a story about this. I talked to UAB coach, uh, or excuse me. I saw what UAB coach Bill Clark had to say about this. And Bill said they did a good job of using our rules against us. And what he meant by that was this Georgia used a bunch formation and Clark indicated that, you know, Kirby knew that the Blazers were going to come in intent on stopping the run. So Georgia showed a formation that they had done a lot of runs out of. They built a tendency. And so UAB was playing the run based on the tendency that Georgia had shown. Well, Todd Munkin and his genius, the self-scout, said, you know what? All we've done for the most part is run out of this formation. 
against these guys, we're going to change it up. They're going to play run and we're going to go deep. And sure enough, you saw Jermaine Burton run by the secondary for the Blazers. And how much momentum was that to be able to score on a play like that right out of the gate? I mean, I think that meant everything, you know, wow, boom, all of a sudden 73 yard touchdown pass and Georgia's up seven to zero in the first minute of the game. And I think everybody's nerves, you know, and then the next time down the field, Stetson Bennett, uh, you know, leads Georgia down the field on a drive. Uh, what I want to say five plays, 55 yards. And there's that swing pass to Kenny McIntosh. And didn't Kenny do a nice job tipping that pass back to himself with one hand and then lowering the shoulder, taking on that UAB player at the goal line for the score. And it's 14 to zero. We're not even five minutes in. And then Carson Beck comes in. And, and here's the thing. Kirby had told Stetson and Carson Beck on Thursday you know, guys, this is how we're going to do it. You know, two, one, two, one, two series for Stetson, one for Carson, two more series for Stetson, one for Carson, right? And so everybody knew on Thursday what the deal was. And you want to prepare your kids. Uh, you know, you're not, you, you're not, you don't want to surprise them. You want everybody to be mentally prepared. And if you think about this, this is kind of interesting. When Kirby was asked if Carson was his number two last week, he was. What people assumed was that JT was the number one, when in fact, Stetson was the number one, right? Stetson, a guy who had experience. Stetson, a guy who started five games last year. Kirby's thinking to himself, I'm not going to make the same mistake that I made a year ago in Arkansas when Georgia trotted Dwan Mathis out there and Dwan wasn't ready for that moment. Because things went wrong around Dwan, and Dwan wasn't able to settle it down. And so Kirby's covering his bases. When? What's important now? And then the other saying, which, you know, when we had the uh, KM Squared show, and I know a lot of you watched that with Kendall Milton and Kenny McIntosh, their favorite saying was, keep the main thing the main thing. And the main thing every Saturday is that game. And, and Kirby, certainly, he recruits, he plans, folks, you know that. But he's not going to overlook anybody. I remember one of my favorite sayings from Gene Stallings, the Alabama coach, when I covered the Tide was, you don't think it's a big game? Just lose it. You'll find out how big of a game it is. So they're all big games to these coaches. And uh, Stetson played wonderfully. I was so impressed. Uh, that was such an interesting game, fascinating game, really, when you think about all the dynamics that went into that 56-7 to win. You know, Carson came in there, and, and he did look like he struggled a little bit with the speed of the game. Uh, he did throw the pick six. He did throw the ball in the dirt. And that's to be expected. That was his first extended action. You know, he's, he'll be that much better in the second game. I mean, look at Keely Ringo, for example. You know, Keely Ringo against Clemson was tackling guys. I mean, those were some pretty horrific pass interference calls. But, you know, Keely against UAB was, was that much smarter, that much better. We talked with Keely earlier today. And he said, you know, I learned from that that I just need to stay poised. When I've got my back to the ball, I just need to stay poised and not panic. And trust yourself, trust your technique. And, and it takes those live reps. And Kirby mentioned that on his coaches show last week. You know, you could do something a thousand times in practice, but until you do it in the game, right? And that's what you don't really know. So I did a stock report and, and I like the stock reports. One of my favorite features, I do it every Monday. And um, it, it has to do with whose stock is soaring, whose stock is up, and whose stock is even, 
right? I don't ever want to see anybody's stock is down because in my mind, it, it's really not down unless you're out of the program. You know, as long as you're a part of the Georgia program and you're getting coached up by Kirby Smart and that staff, I, I think your stock is pretty solid, right? And you may not play your best game, but as long as you're in the huddle, as long as you're going to the team meetings, uh, I think your stock stays even. So to me, there's some guys, though, whose stock really did soar. Obviously, Stetson Bennett, you know, 10 of 12, 288 yards. He was the SEC Offensive Player of the Week, and he was also a Davey O'Brien, which is a National Senior Award. Uh, they recognized him on their weekly awards as well. So five touchdown passes at tied a school record. Wouldn't it have been something if Stetson Bennett set the school record with six touchdown passes? And now I wonder... Is that a record that JT might set this year? Whenever he gets back. I said Kirby Smart stock was up, right? Not that he needs it. He makes about seven or eight million a year already. But, you know, it would have been easy for Kirby to, you know, just go with the press, you know, the guy, a Carson Beck guy with the big upside. Just to, but he really thought it out. He was very careful. And the performances of the quarterbacks really showed you that, wow, the head coach knows what he's doing. Jake Camarda. Man, is he killing it. These punts are like a thing of beauty. They're not only long, but they're so high. Nobody's getting any return. He's burying so many of these kicks inside the opponent's 20. And the growth and maturity from Jake Camarda, it's really impressive. Really impressive. Brock Bowers, how about number 19? All right, we're all starting to get to know him better. We'd heard so much about Brock, but we didn't believe it. Did you believe it? Did you believe that there was going to be a freshman who was going to come in and be the team's leading receiver through the first two games as a tight end? And now we see the 40-inch vertical. And now we see the 4-5-40. I don't think many people really expected this outside the clubhouse. But right now, right as things stand right now, Brock Bowers is the best pass-catching option out there. Jordan Davis makes my stock soaring list number 99. I think we're all going to remember how Jordan ran down that quarterback in the open field. And this wasn't just any quarterback. This was their mobile quarterback. And 99 just tracks him down and you're going, oh, my goodness, that big man can really move. Uh, what a moment for Georgia. What a moment for Jordan Davis at 345. And uh, one more reason why I think he's a first-round lock. Channing Tindell is another guy whose stock is up. Uh, Channing, a guy, uh, I believe, from South Carolina, and uh, a guy who just about had eight tackles, I want to say. The angles in the pursuit of this guy is something to behold. Great open field tackler, has really matured into a strong player. Uh, I think there's some competition there. You know, Quay Walker, Channing Tindell, something to keep an eye on. Uh, not my next category. Maybe not soaring, but these players' performance was a stock up. These are guys I'm looking at that say, you know what, he, you know, he, he took another step. I mentioned Kenny McIntosh a minute ago. I thought Kenny was the most impressive back in this game. I thought Kendall was the most impressive back in game one. Zamir ran also very hard in this game. I thought Kenny was the most impressive back. The cutback, the catch, uh, very impressive um, how well Kenny plays in the backfield, whether he's taking handoffs whether he's going out as a receiver, uh, it's that cutback ability. And then you saw some power in this most recent game, just such a talented player. Lad McConkey is, is really, you know, when Georgia signed him, he was a bit of a project and we thought he was undersized. And, you know, my goodness, it could be two or three years or maybe four 
before Lad McConkey gets on the field. But when I watch him, he's got so much electricity, juice, and energy, not only catching the ball and running after the pass, but seeing him do the things that he's doing on special teams. You know, that's a football player. So Lad McConkey is another player on my stock up list. Adani Mitchell, Justin Robinson, got to mention both of these guys. Two young, exciting targets. Adane, a true freshman, gets two catches for 42. Justin, a second-year player who, had, who was slowed down by injuries last year, his first touchdown catch. Let's see if Adani and Justin evolve more this week. I think they took a big step. Uh, Keely Ringo. Keely Ringo, as I mentioned, um, against Clemson, two pass interference penalties. This game, uh, an interception. you got to be impressed with that. Stock even. Arian Smith, I did see him catch a 61-yard touchdown pass, but a guy that needs to get more sound with the playbook, a guy that if he puts an emphasis on football, you almost wonder, could he be like Tyreek Hill special in terms of his talent? So fast, 4-2-3-40. Impressed with Arian. uh, Need to see more. Need to see assignment sound. Jermaine Burton, 73-yard touchdown cast. Yes, that was huge but he also had a holding penalty. You know, you might say, Mike, you sure are hard on Jermaine Burton. Well, the reason why is because I believe Jermaine has star power. I don't mean just being steady. I don't mean just being a starter. I believe that Jermaine Burton has the potential to be one of the all-time great receivers of Georgia. And yes, it's a steep learning curve. And maybe it's not fair to expect so much, but this is year two. And this is a championship window, and it's really up to Jermaine Burton to grab a hold of this moment and recognize that this may be his best chance at a national championship while he's at Georgia. I'm not going to say it's his only chance, but it may be his best chance because that defense, folks, they're going to move about nine of those starters on the NFL after this year. Kendall Milton. Now, Kendall led the team with eight carries. Uh, The Blazers did a pretty good job of hemming him in. I think that, uh, you know, Georgia's offensive line had a pretty rough game, but still I needed to see Kendall executing on a third and two. I didn't like the play call. It was, it was a kind of an off tackle run where you're getting sideways. I don't know why Georgia just didn't hit it straight. If you give Kendall Milton the ball and a dive, I think he's going to get you two yards. I really feel like he's that powerful, that talented. And if you send him up the middle, like a rocket, he's either going to find that seam or he's going to bounce. And uh, I just wish they would give this running back a chance or maybe even give him a toss. If you want to run wide, give Kendall a toss so he gets a chance to get some open field momentum going and do some things. Uh, Zamir White, seven carries, like Kendall, um, had trouble getting loose. And I didn't think that he ran with the same physicality that he showed against Clemson. So uh, it's pretty interesting to me looking at uh, breaking that down and kind of rewinding uh, some players that we thought really impressed and some players that, you know, maybe had room for improvement. Georgia comes in number two uh, in the AP top 25. I personally had them number one on my super 16 ballot. You might wonder what the super 16 is. The super 16 is a poll that's done by the football writers association of America. Uh, You'll see a lot of uh, famous names on there. Tony Barnhart among them. Uh, and uh, and we vote for the top 16 teams. So here's how my poll looked. I had Georgia number one. I did. I had Georgia number one. I had Alabama number two. I was more impressed with Georgia's win over UAB 
than it was Alabama's win over Mercer. I've got Clemson number three. I think we might have saw the two best teams in the country uh, on opening. I, th- I think Clemson is doggone good. Obviously, they got a win over South Carolina State. It'll be a minute before Clemson plays anybody of significance. I moved Oregon all the way up to number four. Uh, you know, for the Ducks to go on the road and beat the Buckeyes. Uh, also, noon kickoff. Think about that. That's nine o'clock Pacific time. To me, that was a really not cool thing that Ohio State did putting them having a noon kick, trying to use that time zone against Oregon. I thought that was kind of cheap. Uh, glad to see the Ducks get that win. Number five, Iowa, the Iowa Hawkeyes over Iowa State. Uh, in week one, uh, Iowa with a, a big win as well over Indiana. I'm impressed with Iowa. Uh, they're number five on my list. They had a good season last year. I thought could overlook. Number six, Oklahoma. They're undefeated. Uh, they did struggle in the opener. We saw that struggle against Tulane. Uh, there's a lot of upside there, though. I'm going to make them number six. Number seven, Cincinnati. Uh, here's a team that's only lost in the last two seasons, came to Georgia. I don't know how you couldn't be impressed with the Bearcats and, and Desmond Ritter. So seven, Cincinnati. Eight, Penn State. Uh, the Nittany Lions opened the year uh, last week with a win over Wisconsin. I like James Franklin. I think that's a good football team. Number nine, I have Texas A&M. What a struggle in Colorado. I want to give Carl Durrell some credit, though. Second-year coach with the Buffaloes. He was the freshman coach of the year, the first-year coach of the year, I should say, last year with Colorado. And I think he's done a really nice job. Um, you know, that can be a tough team to play. But I got the Aggies number nine. We'll see what they do this week against Arkansas. Number 10, Notre Dame. Uh, Notre Dame had their struggles with Toledo. They finally pulled it out. That's a talented team. Uh, we know that we've seen Georgia go toe to toe with the Irish a couple times over the last four or five years. Always a good game. I dropped Ohio State down to 11. Uh, I just I can't reward Ohio State for, you know, coming from behind to beat Minnesota in the opener. Uh, you know, the fact that they use that time zone against Oregon like that still trail just about the whole game. Not impressed. Number 12, UCLA. Of course, UCLA took LSU down a peg. Uh, Got to give the Bruins credit for that. 13, Arkansas breaks into my poll. Big win over Texas. Big win over Texas. Um, you know, I, I like what Sam Pittman's done there. There's a lot of buy-in. There's a lot of pride. That win over Texas, probably one of the best wins and maybe of the millennium for the Hogs. I mean, the program is in need of a win like that, and they delivered 14 Virginia Tech. Uh, like Virginia Tech saw what they did against North Carolina in the opener. Their defense was impressive. I dropped Iowa State down to 15. I guess I'm giving them the benefit of the doubt. So many people say they're so experienced and they're one of the top two teams in the Big 12. Uh, I'm going to keep them in my poll for now. Number 16, UCF. Uh, like Gus Malzahn, uh, like the Knights, they beat Boise State early this year. I'm going to keep an eye on UCF. And we'll see what Florida does this week against Alabama. Obviously, if Florida wins, they'll get into my top 16, but I'm just not there yet with the Gators. Uh, Emory Jones has had two interceptions in each of his first two games, and I've got questions. And when I've got questions, I I can't fake it. I've got to, as we say, we got to keep it real. So uh, this week's matchup will be interesting moving forward now, looking at this game, knowing what we know about South Carolina. I think this is a game that Georgia should dominate. I really do. South Carolina quarterback play has been shaky. Uh, Zeb Nolan, 24 years old. There's a reason Georgia didn't recruit him. I don't think he has the arm talent to expose the secondary. Uh, This front is so good. I can't imagine South Carolina being able to run the ball effectively or consistently 
last year's game was just such domination by the Bulldogs and uh, against uh, then Mike Bobo led team. So I, I like the dogs big in this game. I think it's because Georgia can run the ball. And I think that sets up the play action. I don't know whether or not JT Daniels is going to play and I can't even hazard a guess. I know that he wants to play. I think he'll play when, when he's ready. But if you're Georgia, again, you know, like Kirby might have dropped a hint when he said the thing we know is that you don't want to take a chance on aggravating it. Uh, you're going to need JT Daniels to beat Arkansas, okay? I don't know that you need JT against South Carolina or Vanderbilt. And maybe it's a situation where you see Stetson and Carson play more and you get to see some good things and some development from Carson Beck. But again, win. What's important now? got to do what you got to do to win that football game so that'll be interesting to keep up with the JT Daniels uh, injury front and then we'll also wonder when some of these other players might come back you know Darnell Washington and Tyke Smith were out of their walking boots and they both had foot injuries I mean that's your star and one of your impact tight ends those are two really important components to the team that when they return the level of play is going to go up they're going to raise everybody's level of play up. Dominic Blaylock, another guy. When will he be back? I think he's a very capable receiver that could really help out this receiving core. So I'll look for the injuries and who's going to be back. Uh, I think George is the crowd at Sanford Stadium. It'll be a night game. Uh, that's going to be exciting. It's such a great setting for college football. And you know, even though Kirby said he wasn't going to bring up two years ago, you know the players are talking about it, right? The players always know. And uh, hey, I want to thank everybody for joining me tonight. If you've got any questions or comments, put them down there in the comment section and I'll circle back and answer your questions and comments. And tomorrow night, Connor in coverage will be on this channel. Uh, Wednesday night, Jeff Centel with his Centel's Intel. And then I'm guessing that we're going to have a cover four broadcast with myself and Brandon Adams, and Jeff Centel and Connor Riley, and we'll chop it up a little bit more. For now, everyone, have a great week, and thanks for joining me on the Ingles on the Beach show.